Hello, my name is Lisa Silver, and welcome to episode 19 of the Idea Blog podcast on the Criminal Code of Canada. Today we will be discussing section 17, the statutory defense of duress. In previous podcasts, we've discussed the category of legal defenses called justifications and excuses. We know that despite codification, our criminal law permits an accused person to raise a trial, a common law defense, as long as it is not inconsistent with the code. There are purely common law defenses, such as the excuse of necessity, which, by the way, is exemplified in the seminal case taught in every first-year law school criminal law class, Regina and Dudley and Stevenson, wherein the two accused charged with murder committed cannibalism when their ship floundered in the high seas and they were forced to drift on a lifeboat. Just think of life of pie without the animals. But in any event, there are also common law defenses which are subject to codification and therefore found in the criminal code. The excuse of duress is one such defense from the common law which appears in the code under the section we are contemplating today, section 17. When we first look at this section, and by the way, it is a long one, we realize that the word duress is never used in section 17. We therefore immediately feel that what we're about to look at and think about is not the same as the common law defense of duress. This is a correct assumption when you look at this section on its face. When we look behind this section, however, and look at the actual case law, which has developed in conjunction with the advent of the Charter on the mechanics of this section, we will see that in reality, this section entitled Compulsion by Threats is really very similar to the common law version and only differs in terms of what category of accused person can use this section and for which offenses. Section 17 reads as follows, quote, a person who commits an offense under compulsion by threats of immediate death or bodily harm from a person who is present when the offense is committed is excused for committing the offense if the person believes that the threats will be carried out and if the person is not a party to a conspiracy or association whereby the person is subject to compulsion. But this section does not apply where the offense that is committed is high treason or treason, murder, piracy, attempted murder, sexual assault, sexual assault with a weapon, threats to a third party or causing bodily harm, aggravated sexual assault, forcible abduction, hostage-taking, robbery, assault with a weapon or causing bodily harm, aggravated assault, unlawfully causing bodily harm, arson, or an offense under sections 280 to 283, end quote. Before we dissect this section, we to have a clear understanding of it, I want to remind you of the key elements of the class of defenses we call excuses. Before a legal excuse, or for that matter, even a legal justification can be used as a defense, both the actus reus and the mens rea of the offense must be proved beyond a reasonable doubt by the prosecution. So the case against the accused is made out, and but for this legal defense, the accused would be found guilty. In light of that prerequisite, the class of defenses known as excuses acknowledge the wrongfulness of the conduct, but as a result of the circumstances facing the accused person, we have decided, we have deemed that in our society, the accused should not be held criminally responsible for his or her criminal actions. 
However, the circumstances facing the accused must be dire. In other words, the defensive excuse can only be used in certain emergency situations. It is therefore the accused reaction to these dire situations which cause society to excuse or absolve their conduct. Excuses are a concession to human frailty and therefore reflect our humanity in two ways. First, this defense realizes that as individuals, as part of our humanity, we may act inappropriately in order to preserve our life or others. Secondly, as humans, we understand that we are not perfect and that our laws must bend to this truth in order for us to have a compassionate and human society. Despite the above, the situations in which excuses can be used are very restrictive because we fear that permitting too broad an excuse for criminal conduct will result in cases where we as a society may not be so sympathetic. So the rule of law draws a line between what is excused and what is not. The difficulty becomes where to draw this line in order to remain true to our humanity without losing it. As I already mentioned, the section is a reflection, albeit as we will see an imperfect one, of the common law defense of duress. And thus this section is found in the original criminal code and you can go to the 1892 criminal code and see this section reflected under section 12. This original section, except for certain language changes, is really virtually the same as our now section 17. Not much has changed over the years to this section and yet, as I have already mentioned, the section has changed dramatically since 2001 when the Supreme Court of Canada gave this section a constitutional makeover in the case of Regina and Ruzick. The court in Ruzick, under the auspices of Section 7 of the Charter, found that the statutory duress defense was too restrictive, particularly in relation to its common law partner, which even with Section 17, could be used by parties to an offense. In the court's view, the statutory defense, which is available only to principal offenders, should not be more restrictive than the common law. In order to rebalance Section 17, the court took out those passages in the section which did not accord with the common law equivalent. Even so, the court did not remove the offenses for which the defense was available, choosing to leave those changes, if desired, to the government. In light of this, let's return to section 17, and this time I will edit the section to accord with the Resit decision. So I'm going to read it again with the phrases and words taken out. I won't read the whole thing, I will just read a good portion of it so that you get the idea, because as I already said, the last part of this section that lists off uh, where the section does not apply to what offenses it does not apply to is still intact. So the first part of the section changed as follows. A person who commits an offense under compulsion by threats of death or bodily harm from a person who is excused for committing the offense believes that the threats will be carried out and if the person is not a party to a conspiracy or association whereby the person is subject to compulsion. And then it goes on to list where the section does not apply. So 
because you're not looking at this, but and I do suggest that you go to www.ideablog, I-D-E-A-B-L-A-W-G dot C-A, and look at this text of this podcast so you can see it, or just open up your criminal code. But what the court did is they took out the word immediate. So before it read, a person who commits an offense under compulsion by threats of immediate death or bodily harm from a person. So the threats do not have to be immediate. And who is present when the offense is committed? And they took that phrase out, present when the offense is committed, as the court decided that the threats can come from a person who is not present when the offense is committed. So the the person who is under this compulsion by threats is excused for committing the offense if the person believes that the threats will be carried out and if that person is not party to a conspiracy or an association. So those are the changes that were done. Even with these changes, the defense is a difficult one to employ. And according to the newest Supreme Court of Canada case in Ryan, the defense can only be used on the following bases. And I'll list them. One, there must be a threat of death or bodily harm. Two, the threat can be directed at the accused or a third party. Three, the accused must reasonably believe that the threat will be carried out. So I'm just going to stop there for a minute. As you can see, as with all defenses that we face, Um, in the categories of justification and excuses. There is a reasonableness component to these defenses. There is an objective component which the accused must fulfill or argue has been fulfilled before the defense will be successful. Number four, there must be no safe avenue of escape and this is evaluated on a modified objective standard. And I won't get into it now, but modification is very slight. The modified objective standard, which was created in the 1990s in response to the driving cases and in response to what criminal negligence um, is under the Charter and under our criminal code, the modification of the objective standard really is so very close to a purely objective standard other than to suggest that all of these reasonableness components must be judged or looked at in light of the context or the circumstances of each particular case. That's really where the modification comes into play. Next, there must be a close temporal connection between the threat and the harm threatened. Next, there must be proportionality between the harm threatened and the harm inflicted by the accused. Again, this is to be evaluated on this modified objective standard. The accused cannot be a party to a conspiracy or association whereby he or she is subject to compulsion as long as the accused actually knew that the threats and coercion to commit an offense were a possible result of this criminal activity, conspiracy, or association. The accused must be the principal offender, and the accused cannot use the Section 17 defense if they're charged with that whole list of offenses, most notably murder. Of course, the common law defense of duress in Canada is not restricted by type of offense, even though 
In the United Kingdom, the common law defense of duress cannot be used in a homicide charge, be the accused a principal or a party. So in closing, there are a few items to note. First, despite Section 8, Subsection 3 of the Code, which holds that common law defenses continue unless they are altered or are inconsistent with the Code, Section 17 changed to become more aligned to the common law defense. And the common law defense did not change to become more aligned to the Code iteration. This is because the common law defense of duress is for parties to an offense and the statutory defense is only for principal offenders. And therefore, this distinction has allowed the common law defense to stand apart from the code. Second, even though Ruzick changed Section 17, the code does not reflect this change. One has to read the case law in order to know how the section is actually implemented. This insistence by the federal government not to reflect court-imposed charter changes to sections in the criminal code is something that will come up again as we discuss other sections of the code in these podcasts. Indeed, there are whole sections, such as section 230 of the code, which have been struck down by the courts as constitutionally invalid and yet still appear in our criminal code. Why this is so is a matter of speculation but one wonders if the government believes that a differently composed court will take a different view or that the charter may somehow change in the future. Either way, it is an oddity that these sections remain as they do as a vestige of the pre-charter past. Finally, there's much to be said about the recent Supreme Court of Canada decision in Ryan, which precluded the use of the duress defense in a situation where the accused was an abused woman who contracted an undercover police officer to kill her husband. Of course, she didn't know that the person that she contracted this murder was a police officer. I will not, however, discuss those issues here in this podcast. Instead, I invite you to access my previous blog on the matter entitled Not to Make Excuses, but the Unresponsiveness of the Supreme Court of Canada to Duress. I've also written on the application of the air of reality test, which is the threshold test used to determine if, in the circumstances of a particular case, a legal defense will be available to an accused, in another previous blog entitled Poof into Thin Air, Where Have All the Defenses Gone? The Supreme Court of Canada and the air of reality test. We will, of course, come to further sections in the criminal code codifying common law defenses where we will continue to peek back at the common law to frame the statutory doppelganger that's found in the criminal code. Thank you for joining me for this episode. We will see you again next time.